Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on him. And I wonder what is that intellectual fuel we burn in order to have our minds fixed on him. I think sometimes we read those passages of scripture and we we think of them solely in the sense of their spiritual content that maybe keeping our minds fixed on Christ is about getting in a dark room and thinking spiritual thoughts. But I'm not sure how that sustains you and I. And some of us are, you know, more mystical in our nature and getting alone in a dark room and thinking spiritual thought comes more naturally to us. Others of us, we need something to think about. We need actual fuel to burn in that process. And so we're we're launching into this uh, process. And I'm going to be honest with you as we kind of roll out here today. uh, We, you know, we kind of threw this out at our 830 crowd this morning and uh, they threw it back. It's not entirely true, but, but you know, some, sometimes, you know, you're, you're kind of sharing and all of it is being absorbed into the upholstery and, you know, you just don't know. So maybe I'm going to give you the benefit of a beautiful nap on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Amen? I mean, there's a lot to be said for rest, but I at least want to challenge you a little bit this morning as we think about the answer to this question. If I were to ask you, what is the biblical story, what would you say? I mean, concisely, what would you say? Because there is a, a need for us to be able to articulate that this is a powerful narrative that begins in the book of Genesis with the moment of creation and ends with John peering into heaven for all eternity. It's a beautiful trajectory in the story, but how seldom we think of it as a unified narrative. And so we're going to launch into that. And we're going to attempt to do that in eight weeks. And it's not the first time we've done it. We've, we've made this attempt before. We try to do it, in fact, every several years to, to try to pull together the biblical narrative in a way that's meaningful. But what's inspiring us really to think about it together right now is the fact that our children are launching uh, as the beginning of June, they started a brand new curriculum that was written by our staff uh, that's called One, and it's a one story, one love, one God. And they're taking uh, our children through the Bible in one year to help our children grasp how the stories fit together, how all of the little narratives fit into a much bigger narrative. And so back in September when we were doing the planning and we had talked with the uh, children's staff, and they talked to us about what they were doing. We said, you know, we want to come beside that. You're going to launch that in June. So in the beginning of July, we'd like to come right behind you and do eight weeks because we would really like to begin conversations between parents and children about the content of Scripture, about what the narrative is about. We'd like for grandparents to be able to talk intelligently with their kids about what this whole thing is doing. And so in order to do that, we have to enter into a little context called biblical theology. Everybody game for that? I'm so excited, and I'm so excited you're excited, even if you're faking it. So when I think about storytelling, just me personally, I I think about a a person who's a part of this congregation. His name's Ralph Winter, and maybe you know him because you've been to the faith and film class that happens in January and February, and, uh, and, and Ralph is a storyteller. Uh, he's a producer and, you know, he's done a lot of movies. 
So if you've seen any of those X-Men movies, uh, that's all Ralph. I don't know if you ever noticed on those movies, there's some characters that quote scripture constantly. That's Ralph. He's getting the Bible out there, you know. <laughs> Which is interesting because as long as you're green and from another planet, you can quote the Bible. And then it's deep intellectual content, because <laughs> it actually is. <laughs> and so, uh, so when I started writing for this series, I called Ralph up and I said, hey, I'm getting ready to do this series about narrative, the greatest story ever told. And you, you, know, you always talk about story. Uh, you know, I've heard you lecture on this you know, in a variety of environments. So anything you want me to know, you know before you know, we kind of launch into this thing. So I know some prejudices about Ralph, and one of the things he talks about when he does his film studies is he talks about the fact that every great story is a story of redemption. Amen? Amen. I mean, if you love a movie, it's because it's a story of redemption, because something happens that's redemptive in the story, and you're like, oh, that's such a great story. But he follows a guy named Joseph Campbell, and he talks about Joseph Campbell all the time, who, who wrote a book a while back about the content of great storytelling. And what's astonishing to me about Joseph Campbell and about this whole story is that every great story you read really follows the pattern that Joseph Campbell... So there is a design concept that goes with great storytelling. Anybody knew that? No? Okay. That's okay. You don't need to know that. It's just, it's just if you've been to Faith in Film, then you know that. You watch a film, you know, so Faith in Film studies the five whatever, six, you tell how adept I am at this, uh, the movies that have been nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture. So every winter, Ralph takes those and, and we look at them, we take them apart. Uh, I, we don't, I don't, he does, you know. <laughs> and if you've been in that class or you've ever been in a, an environment where Ralph's doing a film study, then you're like, oh, I didn't know that. I wouldn't have noticed that. Oh, all of those shots are through a doorway. Hmm. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I just watched the movie and go, well, that was funny. I like it when they fell down. That was good. <laughs> and so I can't describe to you necessarily the elements of great story design, but I do feel them, even if I can't put words to them. And what's fascinating to me about that is, is that this design of storytelling is very important. And so I said to Ralph, you've been in the church your whole life. You've been writing stories your whole life. If, if I'm going to teach this story, is there something you've observed that, that when you hear people talk about the biblical narrative that you would want us to remember, that you would say, you've got to talk about this? And he said instantly, he said, well, let me think about it and I'll get back to you. He hasn't. <laughs> but he did immediately write me an email, and this is what it said. What I love about the Bible is the real flawed characters and their journeys. That continues to make it fresh to us as our journeys change and shape us. There's also a darkness to most of the stories that we don't embrace, and yet that's often where we live our lives, in pain, sorrow, hurt, and trying to figure our way out. Great storytelling. And so as I began to think about that, and I began to think about the flawed stories, and I began to think about all the narratives, I began to think about biblical design and design features that make the story because the task of the biblical writers is, first of all, to truthfully tell the narrative that's unfolding. And so that's done by thousands or by hundreds of writers over thousands of years in a lot of different narrative contexts. And so there's a story about creation and what we call the infancy narratives. Uh, then, then we get into the Abrahamic covenant and we find this story about Israel and Abraham and how that's unfolding. And, and, and it's a very complex story that leads into periods of slavery and the great exodus, the great exile, the falls of the kingdoms. 
you know, we have all kinds of narratives. And mixed in, there's all kinds of different literature. There's poetry and wisdom literature, and there's historical literature. There's all this stuff working together. And then we give birth to this New Testament in which this narrative moves very quickly and covers a very short amount of time relatively to the scope of the rest of the Bible. And somehow, a biblical writer is tasked with pulling this together, inspired by the Holy Spirit to pull together. And so there are tools that begin to appear as we think about this process of biblical theology. Everybody still with me? And one of those is design features. And one of the design features is that there are repetition of patterns that begin to appear. I don't know how many of you have ventured into a website called The Bible Project. How many of you have actually been on that website? Excellent. It's a great, great, great. If you haven't, you should go today. Visit the website, The Bible Project. It, it will help you understand so many things. They do such a great job uh, of telling us about things. And one of the series that they do in a series of video is how to read the Bible or what is the Bible. And so I'm going to now steal a few things from them. Uh, is that okay with you? Good, because I'm going to do it anyway. One of the design features that they talk about is, is this repetition of biblical pattern. And, and, and so let me just share with you a couple of them. The scripture begins to tell us very early, in fact, in the story of Adam and Eve, that they see, they desire, and they take. They see the fruit, and that it's good to eat, and they desire it, and so they take it and eat it, and then a lot of bad stuff happens. And that's not the last time we see this biblical pattern of seeing, desiring, and taking. In fact, it starts to emerge so that the biblical writers who will subsequently tell the stories, tell the stories in this way. So that Abram, who was promised an heir, but has no child at the age of 99, decides he sees Sarah's servant, desires to have a child, takes her and creates an heir. And all kinds of trouble ensues rather than waiting on the promise of God. We see Aaron waiting for Moses to come down the mountain. He sees the gold. He desires to hold the people together. He takes control and forms a golden calf. He sees, he desires, he takes. The people desire a king, and they see that Saul is handsome, and they desire him to be their king so they can be like other nations and they take him to be their king and lots of bad things happen. David sees Bathsheba and he desires her and he takes her and lots of bad things happen. Picking up a pattern here? Now this pattern is very important because it ties the narrative together so that this recurring pattern in humanity it begins to resonate because I don't know about you, but I could testify to this. In my life, I have seen, desired, and taken. Don't leave me hanging up here. That is an awkward moment to be quiet. You and I get it. It happens to us. We Right now, given what's going on in our lives, there's a lot of us going, I see a way out. I desire peace. I will take I will make this happen. I will take control of it. I'll do what I need to do to get to where I need to get to. Now, this pattern not only resonates throughout Scripture, but it resonates in our own experiences. But then something unique happens. Prophetically, as we make our way through the Scripture, now we meet a character in the New Testament named Jesus Christ. And Satan tempts him and says, look at all of this. 
See, I will give you all of this if you bow down to me. Desire. But now the pattern changes. It is not about what I desire. It's about what the Father desires for me. And I will not fit this pattern anymore. I will break this pattern so that everyone who comes after me will have the courage and the ability and will see a way clear to see, desire, and choose the will of the Father instead of their own will. And out of that comes health and healing and goodness and hope. And so these patterns hold the biblical story together. And they are profoundly woven into the depth of Scripture. So that even if we couldn't articulate them, we feel them in our spirits. We, we get it. Let's talk for a moment about another little design feature, a design pattern. And that is water. Water is a very powerful image in Scripture. So, so that what we get in the moment of creation is that God hovered over the void. He hovered over the deep. He hovered over the water. And then out of the water came life. There came creation. And if we didn't get it in the first piece of the narrative, then there's a flood that covers everything with water again, and then life reemerges from the water. And so we begin early on in the infancy narratives, we get this narrative in which life and goodness and hope is being born out of the water. And so as we kind of think about that and we see that pattern emerging, then we find the children of Israel, they've been released from slavery in the great salvation story of the Old Testament, the Exodus, and now they are departing Egypt, and they make their way, and they must pass through the, they must pass through the water to get to where they're going. And so they pass through the water on their way to the promised land, and then years later, they, Joshua now will lead the children of Israel into the promised land, and they must pass through the water in order to get to the promised land. And so the pattern of moving through the chaos of the water to get to the place of the promises is a very prominent image and pattern that is occurring. In fact, I'm giving you highlights. You can see it in a lot of other places. Then Jesus comes and he is pushed under the water. And then as he rises out of the water, the voice of God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then the church says, now every person will pass through the water on the way to the promise. See how that works? So that the biblical pattern doesn't just hold the narrative together. It invites you into the narrative. We just participated in a narrative, in a biblical pattern that you and I are invited to be a part of. Because it holds together not only the biblical story, but the experiences of our lives and the power of the story of Christ. These are powerful design features that are going on in the pattern of Scripture. And so then my question to you is, what is this story about? This story that's held together, what is it about? How would you describe it? What does it mean to you? And how do you connect with it in some relevance to your own story and your own life and the things that are happening to you today? I don't know if you know this, but in the biblical story, there is an inverse relationship between what is going on in us spiritually and what is going on in us physically. Okay, so by that I mean sometimes there's a spiritual story about redemption and hope. It's like everything is rising, but then in our human story, things tend to be falling. Anybody else? Because I'm getting older. And the older you get, the more things fall. You understand what I'm saying? And so we understand that there's an inverse story going on. There's a story of ever, you know, increasing hope and, and, you know, oh, 
ah, that's a biblical story. And this is our story. And if you think I'm just being overly pessimistic, let me just read to you a little passage of Scripture, 2 Corinthians. I always think that people should get super blessed when I read this passage of Scripture. That's a warning or an invitation or something. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Not a single amen. You're just not being honest with yourself. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, now here's the deal. I don't know about you, but I like that passage of Scripture. I, I like to think about that. I like for it to encourage me. But that's not specifically a passage of Scripture that's supposed to encourage me. It's specifically a passage of Scripture that's supposed to tell me about the story of God. The writer is not saying, I'm sorry you're having a hard day. Here's some thoughts that might encourage you. He's saying, those who fix their mind on Christ are kept in perfect peace. What is the intellectual fuel? Here it is. There's an inverse relationship. An inverse relationship between some of the things that happen to me and what God intends for me. Though outwardly I'm wasting away, yet inwardly I'm being renewed. My light and momentary troubles are achieving something for me that far outweighs them all. Therefore, I fix my eyes. This is what I do. This is where my mind goes. This is what I am thinking about. Fixing my eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because I know that what is seen is temporary. But there is something unseen that is eternal. And so I get my mind off of what is temporary. Amen? I mean, I'm not good at it. But if I think this is just about me and encouraging me in my little walk, I miss the biblical pattern. This is God inviting me to think differently about life, about the story of humanity, about the story of God, and how I fit into this massive, beautiful, powerful, unstoppable story of the creator of the universe. I'm not just putting my mind on things that might make me feel better. I'm connecting with truth that heals my broken soul. And that's very different. Paul in Romans is talking about this same thing. We quote it to one another as a kind of individual encouragement. But he's in the middle of a very theological treatise talking about the trajectory of the story of God. Romans 8.18, I consider that our current sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that's seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. It's not just individual encouragement. It's him saying, listen... I, I believe that what we're going through is not compared, not to be compared to the glory that's being created out of this hardship. 
and that the whole creation is groaning. It's not all working the way God designed it to work. Not yet. But not only so, we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, we groan inwardly. He's saying, I want you to focus your minds here. I want you to think about this. I want you to understand the biblical story. It's a story of redemption. It's going somewhere. There's a trajectory. There's an end point. There's a place we're going. I don't want you to just kind of get together and go, I hope you feel better. I hope you feel better. I hope you have a better day. I want you to know that your destiny is in the hands of God. And there's a biblical story that's going somewhere. So much so that now when we get over, because here's what we're going to do now. Everybody still with me? Here's the good news. We're almost through this whole sermon. Well, <laughs> give or take. I mean, you know, <laughs> you're really in a bad spot. I mean, you really are. Because the truth is, if you're bored, you know, I'll keep trying to talk until you get engaged. <laughs> and then if you act like you like it, I'll think you like it. So I'll keep talking. <laughs> so, so there's really no way for you to win at this point. But what I'd like to do is just jump to the very end of how the story, because we're going we're gonna to go to Revelation, and then, then we'll back up and make a couple of observations. So sometimes we treat this book of Revelation like it's an apocalyptic roadmap to the end of the world. For a minute, if you could just hold that thought, and well, you could get rid of it if you wanted to. But Because really what is happening is John has a vision in which he sees where we're headed. He sees what it looks like. And God looks at him and says, write this down because this is worthy of the truth of God. And let people know so that they understand how the story ends so that when they're in the middle of the story, they don't get discouraged and give up. That's what's going on here. So that he's looking into the prophetic fulfillment of God's kingdom in the trajectory of this biblical story that started in a garden and now is being reborn in creativity at the end of the story and what happens to you and I in the process. So here are the words from Revelation 21, verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To those who are thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who overcome will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. And so John looks into heaven, and he sees where the story is going. And God says, write this down. And let everybody know that they don't have to be afraid, that they don't have to be worried, that they don't have to be lost in the story of their lives, that they can connect with the trajectory of the story of God. And here's the story of God. I'm going to get you home. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to heal what's broken in you. I see three things that I think merit us to think about this morning. I think they matter. Number one, this redemptive story is a story of new beginnings. 
It's a story of new beginnings. Isn't it funny how, as human beings, we have a set pattern to our lives? Not physically, because that is true, but emotionally. So, for example, if I were to say to you, what is the prime of life? What would you say? Obviously, you'd say nothing. You would just look at me like, I don't know. This is a very hard question. I don't know what you want me to say. I don't want you to say anything. I just want you to answer the question. What do you think is the prime of life? What age do you think is the prime of life? Long time ago. <laughs> I didn't know when I was in it, but I know it's gone. <laughs> you can perfectly see the prime of life behind you. <laughs> But I suppose if we just analyzed it, we would go, you know what? Probably we would all say that the pattern of life is somewhere in your 20s and 30s. You're in the prime of life. Everything still works. You know. <laughs> Amen? Because something does happen when you reach the age of 40. I mean, you wake up that morning and you go, I can't see. I don't, I don't need to put some... Li oh, there you are. Yeah. And then I, it's so interesting because we emotionally, we have a trajectory because retirement age set by Social Security. <laughs> Amen? I mean, because who made that up? That didn't even exist until the middle of the last century, you know? So. But 65, we're kind of coming, we're looking for a place to land the plane, you know? <laughs> well, I'm just about done. <laughs> Get my slippers and my pipe ready. I'm going to go, you know, just going to complain full-time now. <laughs> and we do that mentally to ourselves. I'm, I'm just about done. Just about done. That is not the biblical pattern, and it is not the biblical story. The biblical pattern and the biblical story is that, yes, outwardly things do waste away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That something happens to us that while physically we may be in decline, emotionally, mentally, relationally, spiritually, we are rising. There is a new beginning in us. There is new birth happening to us. That's why grandparents are so good with children. That and we have no rules. But other than that... <laughs> amen? I mean, we, grandparents know some stuff. They know some stuff. And this is what they know. That doesn't matter. I'm not, I would have died on that hill when I was 25, but at 65, it's just cute. <laughs> and they're going home later. <laughs> <laughs> but we know stuff, and we only know stuff because we've been broken, and we know stuff because we've suffered loss, and we know what matters. And when we were 25 and 7 and 32 and our children were little and we were agonizing and stressed out of our minds, we woke up at 45 and our kids were grown and we wondered what happened. And we said, if I ever get the chance again, I'm not going to waste a single second. I'm going to live in that moment with all of my energy and all of my strength because I won't waste another minute because something inside of me has been birthed and I'm having new birth inside of me even as my body is getting tired and I'm not coming in for a landing at 65 I'm not coming in for a landing at 75 
I love that old expression, man, I want the casket to be screeching to a halt. I want it to bang into the front of the church. I want to live every second. Amen? Yeah. Because I'm worth more now. I may not look very good, but I'm worth more now. And this story of Scripture, this trajectory of God is saying, yes, 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 yes. Live, live, be reborn. This is about new birth. This is a kingdom of new birth and new beginnings. It's a story of new life. But maybe more important than anything else, it's a story of redemption. It's a story of redemption. And that's what this means. No amount of loss in your life is wasted. Because if we went around the room and we said, let's talk about loss for a minute. Let's talk about what it means to lose somebody you love or to have reversals in your life that break your heart. I don't know about you, but my mom taught me when I was little that if I did the right thing, the right things would happen. Anybody else? Your mom taught you that? That is very generally true. (laughs) It is not necessarily specifically true. Amen? Because sometimes you do the right thing and really bad things happen. And sometimes you give your very best and your heart's still broken. And sometimes you give your best and because of your own lack of maturity or wisdom, you make bad choices. And life gets broken. And I don't know about you, but somehow if we believe the story of God is about a God who judges us and is just waiting to thump us on the head, then we have missed the trajectory of the story. It's about a God who is continuously taking whatever is broken in us and turning it under and redeeming it to new life and new beginnings and new starts. He has no plan Bs. There is no plan B for you. I grew up believing, you know, well, here's the trajectory of your life. This is what you got to figure out. And I don't know about you, but this may not be true anymore. It must not be true anymore. But when I was growing up, if you didn't know what you were going to be when you grew up, by the time you graduated from high school, you were considered to be immature. You know, you didn't have it all together. So I remember at 16, the urgency of trying to figure out what I was supposed to do with my life. I remember growing up saying to me, well, you better pray and find out what God has for you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 16. Okay. (laughs) Anybody else go through that? Okay. I'm going to be a fireman. I don't know what I'm going to be. Trying to figure it out. But there was this urgency to get your life all ordered and figured out and then go live that life. You know, oh, you're 18? When are you getting married? <laughs> I don't even know how to match my clothes yet. <laughs> but this urgency to get on with our lives, you know, and move forward and know it all and figure it all out. Folks. I just turned 59 a couple weeks ago. I still don't have it figured out. But God says, okay, you figured out your plan A and you thought you had it all fit and then it didn't turn out to be a plan A. Guess what? Let me take the carnage that you created from trying to pursue a plan A because you saw and you desired and you took. (laughs) And I'm going to give you a new plan A. I'm not going to give you plan B, not plan C, not plan D. So your marriage didn't work out and ended up in divorce. I've got a new plan A for you. So, so there's tragedy and difficulty and you lost a loved one. Let me give you a new plan A. Let me start from where we are with a brand new plan A. So you didn't figure it all out. You made bad choices. Let me give you a new plan A. 
Because that's a trajectory of this story, and that's what John is writing about. He's writing about a God who is eternally redemptive, and he will make all things new. And that's the story you and I participate in. So that that's what we get up, and that's what we feed our mental. And I don't know about you, but this is what I find. I live in a world that is full of cynicism. I don't, I don't turn on the news and find a lot of things to be optimistic about. In fact... I don't know that you can watch anything on television that is optimistic because people have jobs on television of telling you what's wrong. That's what they get paid to do. It doesn't matter if it's a game. I know one is going on right now. Oh, good, you didn't know. The World Cup, the Women's World Cup final is happening right now. Take a deep breath, everyone. Now, you'll all leave. I don't care if you're talking about sports because those talking heads are there to tell you what's wrong. Well, I don't know why they did that. Well, I should have done this instead. And I don't know about you, but that kind of cynicism seeps into your bones and it gets into your head and it gets into your conversations with your people in your family. And so when the scripture says he will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on him, that's what it's talking about. It's about getting your head out of the culture in which you live, which is full of cynicism and pessimism And getting it into the word of God, which is full of redemption and hope. That says, I don't care what just happened to you, God's got a new plan A. I don't care what just happened to you. God's going to bring you through the chaos of that water into the promised land. There will come a time. We groan. and The whole creation is groaning. And we too, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption as children. His fulfillment of the promises in us. We're not there yet, but we're trusting and hoping and living and that's where we fix our minds we don't walk around in the carnage of our own story in our own life because we're a part of a much bigger story and that is a story of redemption it's the greatest story ever told and you're invited not to just read it you're invited to live it to be in it to experience it god would you help us As over these next few weeks, we talk about your word and we talk about the narrative that's going on and we talk about how it's tied together. It's one consistent whole story that is powerfully good. It's powerfully full of hope. It's full of flawed people who live somewhat dark stories, but in it there is a thread of redemption and new birth and new beginnings and new life and new plan A's that draw us forward into a place of celebration. And I pray... Whatever is going on in the lives of the people who are joining in this place, joining on live stream, I pray that you would remind them that they do not have to live in the story of cynicism and loss and hopelessness and fear and anxiety and depression, but they can live this narrative, a narrative of hope and redemption and new life, and you're going to get every one of us home. You're going to get us to our destiny. You're going to get us to the place you desire us to be, and in all things, you're going to work for our good. And you've come that we might have life and have it to the full. May each of us focus our minds there so that you may hold our hearts and lives and stories in perfect peace. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. Amen. Will you stand as we respond to his word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.